Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Wednesday, October 27th, as Virginia Tech prepares for its stretch run of the season, starting with a trip down to Atlanta to face off with Georgia Tech for the first time in two years. On episode 203 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, we'll get you set for the matchup with the Yellow Jackets, talk about the Hokies' road-heavy schedule down the final stretch of the season, and see how the Hokies can get their season back on track. All that and much more on episode 203 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you in however you are listening to the Tech Sideline Podcast, whether you're listening archived on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, or if you are taking this in on YouTube, live or archived. If you are on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And if you are watching live, drop a comment or question in the chat below for Will and Chris, and Katie will get to those at the end of the show. As always, the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. You can help bring Olympic hopeful athletes to Blacksburg and one of the best and fastest growing wrestling programs in the country. Go to southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. We finally have our full crew back on set today. Across the way, Will Stewart makes his triumphant return, our founder and general manager. To my left, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman at techsideline.com. In the fourth chair today, it is Katie Adams. She will have her segment in the middle of the show and then get to your YouTube questions at the end. Malcolm Stewart, behind the scenes, the best podcast producer in the land. And I'm Jake Lyman, your host before we get into the game, want to welcome Will back. Missed the last two podcasts down in Florida. I wouldn't say I missed it, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> That's an office space yes, reference, right? Evan yes. Hughes would get that one. I got, I get it. You I've seen that movie. Yeah, we had, we had to make him watch it. Oh, you had to yeah. make. My parents yeah. made me watch that. Uh, probably when I was like, as soon as I was old enough to watch it. How how was the trip? Excellent. Full disclosure: I did not listen to the podcast you guys did. Uh, while I was gone, I also owe Katie, I have to listen to a podcast she did, so uh, <laughs> I just drove and listened to Sirius XM. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried you would have caught, you would have listened to the last two. We said some things you probably wouldn't be okay with. So. Did you talk about me while I was gone? Yeah, 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 we did. We were worried you would listen. I would expect no less. And, um, then, and then Chris also win last night for the Braves in game one. There, There's um, an outside shot now. You could see the, the clinching one. Shot. Yeah, well, I'm glad they're not going to go down, you know, 2-0, <laughs> heading back to Atlanta because I would take the luster off of it for sure. And I'm glad I got my tickets when I did because they're like, Friday night's game is like 1100 now, the lowest price, and Saturday night's game, the lowest price is like 1300 wow. And I got mine for like 650 Well, so, I'm, I'm sure if Atlanta wins tonight, that Saturday one is going to keep going up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if the Braves have a chance to lock it up on Saturday night in Atlanta. Saturday in Atlanta, Hokies will also be down there to face Georgia Tech. First time in two years that they're facing the Yellow Jackets. 
which is kind of weird because it, they're still in that transition from the triple option with Jeff Collins now in his third year with the program. Going to be a very different team than what the Hokies saw two years ago in that blowout uh, down in Atlanta as well. Yeah, they're just struggling to find a quarterback early in his tenure, uh, which is kind of expected. Um, it's, it's not going to be easy for them. I thought it would take you know a full four or five years to transition because you have to turn over that entire offensive roster. Uh, you know, those offensive linemen had never been taught how to pass block before. The wide receivers had never been taught how to run, you know, route trees. The quarterbacks had never been taught how to pass, <laughs> basically. Well, I thought a bigger so, issue would have been that the offensive linemen were generally smaller. Yeah, that, that's certainly types. part of it, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, all those things are issues. Now, in his third year, they've actually made more progress offensively than I thought they would. Where I thought they'd make the most progress under Jeff Collins as a former defensive coordinator would be on the defensive side of the ball, but they're, and it looked like early this year that they were making progress, but that their last three games have just been pretty bad. So uh, it's it's a little bit surprising that their offense is a bit ahead of their defense at this point. The bright spot for Georgia Tech, a blowout of North Carolina earlier on in this season, but again, like you mentioned, they haven't been a very good team the last couple weeks. Is this kind of last chance? Hokies have lost three in a row, four out of five, and the only win, a 21-10 Richmond uh, a game against Richmond. Do you think this is the last chance for the Hokies to kind of get this season back on track, get back to 500? If you want to make a bowl game, you know, you got to win six games, of course. And there are, what, five games left, so you got to win three of those. And I would say the most likely win would be Duke. Yep. Right. The second most likely win would be this Saturday. So if you don't win this one this Saturday, and you got to win three of the last four to, to make a bowl game against a Miami team that's finally starting to score some yeah. points. Um, yeah, they're short cool. week we, we, at BC. A short week, Friday night, November, Boston. That just doesn't sound doesn't sound nice good. Ring no. to it, does it? No. Um, we were talking earlier about Miami's quarterback that they're playing ever since uh, uh, Derek King. Ever since Derek King got hurt, he's really uh, catching up quickly. Yeah. Um, he he looked pretty poor the first half he was in, and and. Last week completed something like 75% of his passes, four touchdowns or something like that. It's crazy the transition during the middle of the season because, you know, you watched him in the first half of that Appalachian State game and you're like, he might not win another game the rest of the year with this guy at quarterback. And yep. he has made huge improvements since then, starting in that second half of that game. Well, Miami also could have beaten Virginia if they didn't uh, hit a field goal off the upright at the last second as well. Wow. So Miami could be maybe even contending up there with Pitt for the Coastal if they, if a couple other things had gone right. Uh, speaking of Miami, I wrote this down when I was thinking about this game. This game kind of has a feel of that 2019 Miami game after losing to Duke 45-10 the week before. It felt like a lot of people had given up, and then Tech goes out and, and kind of bounces back. I, yeah. I feel the same way about this one, that Tech is finally going to put it together. I hope so, because um, <laughs> it'd be another week of talking about the same thing over and over again if they don't. Um, I, I do think that the way Georgia Tech has been trending down defensively the last few weeks, um, you know, UVA put up a ton of yards on them, but it wasn't just Brennan Armstrong. UVA actually ran the football on them. I think they ran for 240 yards on them, and UVA has not been able to run the football this year. They are not a good running team. They weren't last year. They're not this year, yet they ran all over Georgia Tech. I think it was like 240 yards and eight yards of carry. Yeah. So that, that's a bad sign for their defense. They could not stop a team that had yet to be able to run the ball on anybody. Of course, it's also a bad sign for Virginia Tech's defense that they couldn't stop a team from throwing the ball who hadn't shown the ability to pass the ball yeah. on, on anybody before. Well, they gave up 636 yards to Virginia last week, did Georgia Tech. 
Uh, but the, on the offensive side, you mentioned the offense may be taking bigger strides than mm-hmm. the defense in Jeff Collins' third season, and that's because of the, uh, a lot of because of their freshman backfield. Uh, two highly recruited guys, Jeff Sims and Jameer Gibbs. Looking at Sims, we just saw the Hokies struggle with the mobile quarterback against Syracuse, and now you got a guy averaging almost seven yards per carry. Uh, it could be another tough test for the Hokies' defense. Yeah, uh, I would say so. Uh, he, he's a guy that can certainly run the ball. Um, I think he's got over 300 rushing yards this year, and uh, uh, doesn't say it on here. Maybe that. Maybe I'm pretty sure I wrote in my preview that he, that he had over 300 rushing yards. All right. So, I'll, I'll so t- either I'll your roster card is wrong or my preview is wrong. <laughs> well, but. it's possible. You, did you do that thing of looking at the first column where it says how many yards he's gained, and you didn't look at that he's lost, and then the net? Did you maybe do that? That's possible. Yeah. Someone in this room I actually have it can up look right now for, up for us right uh, now. There are six has... people in this room. Can somebody please? <laughs> <laughs> I I had it up from my researching for this earlier. He has run for 320 yards this season. Okay. Hmm. Yep. All right. So I yeah. Not see that. He can he can uh, he can run and he's not a great passer yet. Um, their receivers aren't dynamic, but they're not bad either. But I, I would say he's not—he's probably not as good a runner as Schrader, but he's probably a better passer than Schrader. But yes, he is a guy who—he's a—he's a dual threat quarterback, and and he's going to be able to run. And they've got three backs that they're going to be able to give the ball to. Uh, Jameer Gibbs was a top 50 recruit coming out of high school, coming out of uh, I believe Dalton, Georgia. Out of they, Georgia, right? They were able to keep him in state. 411 rushing yards this year. He's also caught 21 passes. He's an all-around player. His pass blocking grade is also really good on PFF so far. So it's rarity for a true freshman to be able to come in and pass block at a high level early. Yeah, so for contrast, we were doing the PFF high graders of the week on on offense, and Mm -hmm. and Malcolm may or may not have the numbers up. And for Virginia Tech, it was Caleb Smith this week. He only played about 35% of the snaps, but we gave it to him anyway. But we looked at Malachi Thomas's grades and his his – pass blocking grade was in the 30s or something like that so that's what you run into typically with yeah. freshman running back and that's a, that's a lot of times fans wonder oh why isn't this guy get, getting on the field more because he'll, get, your he'll quarterback get the quarterback killed, killed. Yeah. yeah yeah now granted i think at this point they didn't have much of a choice because Jalen holston was also getting the quarterback killed. <laughs> so <laughs> you uh, put the guy you can put run. the guy in who can run yeah exactly at that point so uh, yeah i think i think they've got some pieces down there at georgia tech um I think their their offense is good enough for them to be a decent football team, yeah. but the way their defense is trending the last few weeks, uh, you know, they're like Virginia Tech right now. They need to win ASAP. Their last two games are against Notre Dame and Georgia, so they're not going to win those games. So if they want to make a yeah. bowl, they need to start winning. They need they need to win like three in a row yeah. here. They need to run off some a few wins in a row. So like and like Virginia Tech needs to win because if they don't, then. You go into those last four games, needed to win three of them, and generally speaking, three and five football teams don't win don't three win out of three four. Out of the last four. Um, so I watched uh, the only time I've been able to watch Georgia Tech play was against North Carolina, and I tuned into that because I think I'd seen the score and I enjoy watching North Carolina lose. So I, I went over and watched that, and Georgia Tech looked really good in that game. Um, if you look at their, you know, and Chris mentioned this in in our preview that. They're, they're not run blocking very well, but if you look at their PFF grades, what you see is kind of a, a low run blocking grade. Not hideous, but but not great. But what you see is high running grades for the guys right. that actually run the football. So that tells you that they've got very talented runners. They're just not blocking particularly well for them. Uh, so, you know, that said, if, if your linebackers don't fill the holes, it doesn't matter how well they're blocking, they're, they're going to run on you. Yeah, that's right. And they actually have uh... – 
Here's a little bit of trivia. Oh, I hope I don't steal this from Katie. We'll <laughs> uh, see. Uh, okay, uh, uh, Jalen Griffin plays defensive end for Virginia Tech. His two brothers play for, for Georgia Tech. Uh, one is on the defensive line, Jaquan Griffin. Okay. And, <laughs> and the other is uh, Jameis Griffin, who is a running back. I don't know if, I don't know if Jameis will get any carries at, for, uh, on Saturday. But it's possible, but, but unlikely. But, uh, yeah, you know, they got plenty of guys who can run the football. And uh, I, I do think if, if they can get their offensive line up and going a little better in the future, this does have a chance to be a good offense. And but you know, like you said, that was probably the biggest turnaround for for their entire offense coming on. I mean, it's just completely you need a completely different type of offensive lineman to run a traditional offense as opposed to the Paul Johnson offense, and you need bigger linemen too. And you can't really like change an offensive line on a on a dime like that, you know. So. Uh, but I, but I, th- I do think they're making strides offensively, but their big problem is defense. If you look just towards the future of this Georgia Tech team, it seems like this is a team you want to get now with Sims and Gibbs, both true freshmen. And then again, you mentioned wow. the, the offensive line is going to keep developing into the new system. Uh, it, it seems like this offense could be pretty dangerous a few years down the road. I think so. I mean, Jeff Sims is a quarterback who decommitted from Florida State to go to Georgia Tech. He was a t- highly touted kid. That was like a late flip to like right before signing day. And everybody was like, wow. Uh, Jeff Collins, dude, can can recruit, yeah. and he has done done a solid job, I, I think. And Jameer Gibbs was was a big win for him. Um, you know, this this is a capable team. I mean, they hammered North Carolina. With you know, Carolina had some turnovers, and then Georgia Tech took advantage of it. But this is also a team that has also been hammered in their own right. Um, Pitt beat them by thirty one. I mean, if you think Pitt handled Virginia Tech, yeah. they really handled Georgia Tech, yeah. and. The UVA score was not as close as, as the final score indicated. Um, I think yeah, it, didn't George Tech take it was, a couple late touchdowns? It was 48-27 to 27 with like three minutes left, yeah. and then somehow George Tech scored twice in the last They scored, minutes. they got a, an onside kick and scored again, and uh-huh. I think they got a second onside kick as well. I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, Katie, I, Katie's nodding, so. They did. Wow. Hey, man, how do you give up? How do you, I don't do know, you give that, up two onside kicks in a row if you're UVA? That's rare. It very rarely happens once in a game, let alone twice within three minutes. I better get my UVA knocks in while I can. <laughs> <laughs> I hear their quarterback's pretty good. <laughs> well, for Sims, he, had, he ran for 128 yards in that North Carolina game. That's a mm-hmm. season high, and that was a large reason why they won that game. But since that North Carolina game, he's struggled in the air. Five interceptions in the last three games. And against Duke's defense, he went just 12 for 25. So this is a guy that the Hokies, uh, they can contain if they just keep him from running the football. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, very young player still. Uh, tr- he's a re- he's a true freshman, but he's a COVID true freshman because he did start for him last yeah. year. So he, he's a second-year player now, but still he's a second-year player who's operating in an offense that is in complete rebuild mode from the biggest systematic change you'll ever see in college football going from a Paul Johnson offense to a traditional offense. Yep. Uh, it was a leap of faith by him to commit there. Like he, 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 I mean, he had to be really, Jeff Collins really did a good sell job. I would say, um, I think early playing time, I'm sure had a lot to do with it. And maybe the state of Florida state program probably had something <laughs> to do to it, to, with yeah. it too. He's throwing the ball, his two best wide receivers, Kyrick McGowan and Malachi Carter, if Jermaine Waller isn't healthy, or at the very least if he's limited in this game on Saturday, these guys are both big play threats. McGowan averaging 14 yards per catch, Carter averaging over 15.5 yards per catch. 
Uh, the Hokies gave up a couple big plays in the air against Syracuse. Seems like that could be uh, the MO for the Yellow Jackets as well. You know, it seems like when, obviously when the Paul Johnson era, they didn't throw the ball very much. When they did, it was generally it was for a, like a 60 yard throw, game, yeah. man. Yeah, that's the, they would they would pop up on you and they didn't screw around with little out routes, man. They they went for the throat when when they did decide to throw it. Um, uh, McGowan's going to be your slot guy, and Malachi, uh, Malachi Carter is their most dangerous outside receiver. I hope Jermaine Waller is ready to go this week. They, they, they tried to play him this past, but they started him in that game. And he only played four snaps, and I'm going to go on my rant here about here playing we go. injured players. <laughs> it's all true. Like, could you really not tell during pregame warm-ups that he wasn't going to be physically capable of playing? Yeah. Do you have to throw him out there on the field before you figure that out? Well, what if he'd gotten re-injured? They did the same thing to Khalil Herbert last year and James Mitchell last year. They put him out there for one or two plays, and they're like, oh, hurt, can't play. Why can't you figure that out during pregame warm-ups? And, and, or during the week. Right, right, right. And, yeah, exactly. Like Because to me, like, if you – most football programs, man, like if, if you get to, like, Wednesday and you're too hurt to practice, then you can't play. Because that tells other players, oh, you know what? My hamstring's a little sore and I don't really feel like practicing anyway. So I'm just going to lay out of practice today and the coaches will still let me start on yeah. Saturday, right? And that's – that's that's how you part of the reasons you get bad player development and things like that and bad discipline in a program. Um, so I'm, there's there's my rant for all of that. <laughs> well, if Jermaine Waller isn't healthy, how does this defense get better from that game against Syracuse? That was their worst performance of the season. How do you bounce back from that and, and hopefully have a game similar to the ones that we saw earlier in the season where the defense was keeping the team in games? You know, I don't think Georgia Tech can consistently throw the ball on Virginia Tech, but Syracuse didn't consistently throw the ball on them. <laughs> <laughs> They just did it when they had to. Uh, it went six, what they call gallows. 16 humor. for 34. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, 16 or 34, but, man, when they needed a big play, they got them. And when they needed to go 98 yards, they did it. They did it. Um, other than those two drives, it was pass defense was perfectly fine. Um, so to me, it's like, yeah, I don't think Jeff Sims is going to go out there and light Tech up, but when they need to score, is Tech's defense going to come through with, with a stop? Um, I, I don't think they're running. I think their running game is good, but I don't think it's as good as the Syracuse running game. I don't think they're going to. On paper, I don't think they should threaten the Tech defense quite as much as Syracuse did. But uh, you know, on paper, Syracuse shouldn't have been able to throw the ball uh, against Tech and. So you see the defense trending down a bit. You see the defense trending around on a week where Justin Fuente left the scout team offense to actually work with the regular offense. And then the regular offense got better, but the defense got worse. Um, so if we continue to see that trend this week, then probably the, the, the final five games of the season are going to be higher scoring than you would have expected from a, from performances earlier. Well, if it happens again, do you think that's less – it could be a coincidence that that happened just the week Justin Fuente moved over. It could but be it, just a coincidence. If it happens again and this game finishes 44-41, it, does it seem like Justin Fuente, wherever he goes, is going to be successful and the other <laughs> side is just going to fall if off the cliff? there were two Justin Fuentes, <laughs> one with a scout team offense, one with a regular we offense. We had a whole staff of Justin Fuentes. <laughs> but would you have to pay all of them $4.5 million a year? <laughs> oh, man. It's true. Yeah, I don't know. It's You get into the point of the season where – you're always going to have that game or two where things don't necessarily work out like you think it's going to work out as far as, oh, here's how the game's going to go. So, like, the Notre Dame game was higher scoring than we expected. The Syracuse game was higher scoring than we expected. Were those just kind of blips, or are we going to see more of a trend of that going forward? 
based on what we've heard in press conferences this week, especially from the defensive players, it feels like they have a chip on their shoulder this week after that game where you, you would you would think so, Jake. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you can have a chip all you want, but yeah. you know you got to go out. your assignments. Yeah. You got to read the scouting report. You got to know what's coming, and, and, and you also have to take what players say at a press conference with a grain of salt, because you know last week Dax came out and David didn't Dax say something last week about oh we thought he had a great. Yeah. But then this week he flipped it. David Teal, the David Teal asked me about it. He was like, I think he said that last week. Do you feel the same this week? He was like, Yeah, and, I mean, you saw Mike Mordek put in there. Yeah. He said that the past couple weeks. David's not mic'd, Yes, in, in case <laughs> yeah. you can't hear what David is saying, David Cunningham, managing editor uh, at Tech Sideline, he's saying that last week D- Dax Hollyfield said that their Tuesday practice was the best they've ever had, and then they gave up 41 points to Syracuse. Right. So, uh, again, like you said. Right, but but then and then it's like Teal asked him about it this week, and, and then Dax mentioned something like, well, I thought it was good this week, but it hadn't been good in the past. So did he just he just did he just make that up about Sarah, the Syracuse practice being good? So like I'm saying, take all that stuff with a grain of salt. No player is going to get out there and say, "Man, I really feel like we're terrible and we're not making progress and we've been practicing horribly and everything like that." So you just <laughs> and, and some of it is just what is meant by having a good practice on, yeah. on a player level. Sometimes just being fired up and energetic can can be defined as a good practice, whether you're executing. actually executing well or not. Yeah, and I, I see what you're saying there. Dax uh, Hollyfield isn't going to come out and say, man, yesterday was the worst practice we've ever had. <laughs> really terrible. We're not <laughs> ready to play this week. <laughs> we might as well just forfeit it now. <laughs> we'll, we'll move on next week. Um, it does feel that this game is a much better matchup for Virginia Tech than the last couple, at least. It, lo- it feels like the strengths of what the Hokies do plays into the weaknesses of what Georgia Tech does. I would mm-hmm. say considering how Georgia Tech's defense has been on a downward trend for three weeks and the fact that the Tech running game was improved last week makes me feel better about this game, for sure. Yeah, and if Fuente is, is he said in press conferences he was he was gonna. I think the way he phrased it was, I think I'm gonna stay over there with the uh, with the regular on, offense. on the offensive side of the ball. And I agree that Virginia Tech has a chance to if 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 all that lines up, Virginia Tech has a chance to score in the 30s or maybe even the 40s again. I know that sounds preposterous to some people who are really down on the offense, but well, Pitt scored 42 in the first half against this Virginia Tech defense, <laughs> which again, Pitt's offense is much better than Virginia Tech's, but 42 and a half is, uh, that's, that's and a that's when Georgia work. Tech's defense really started on their downward yeah. trend. Yeah. Uh, they beat Duke, but you know. They didn't play great against them, and then UVA torched them. It's the fact that UVA could run the ball on them. Yes, and UVA hasn't been able to run the ball on anybody else, and and that's that that would that should be the really concerning part if you're if you're a Georgia Tech coach is that UVA who can't run the ball just ran it down your throats. Well, Georgia, Georgia Tech gave up again fifty two to Pitt. 48 to UVA, 14 to Clemson. That's pretty high for those Tigers. So uh, <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> that that was a, a fun game, I'm sure, to watch. I didn't watch that one. 14 to 8, the final score for Georgia wow, Tech. And I didn't Clemson. see that one either. Uh, but, again, you mentioned UVA's offense is very good, but giving up 636 yards, mm. uh, that you usually don't win many of those games. Well, once you start getting over 500 yards, it kind of gets into you know the ludicrous speed thing from uh, Spaceballs. Have you guys ever seen that? <laughs> no. It, 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 gets a have, little, yeah. it, it gets a little ludicrous once you get over 500. And, I mean, 600 and how many 36, yards? 636. Man, that's a, that's a ton of offense. 
You know, That's I, I, traditional well, Big Twelve game is what it sounds like. And yeah. we've got a few weeks before Virginia, but maybe it does show a little bit of uh, of optimism for Hokies fans wanting to keep the Commonwealth Cup in Blacksburg. That UVA put up 636 yards of offense, and Georgia Tech had the ball after the second onside kick to go down and With tie the game. To tie. Yeah, 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 for sure. And honestly, uh, I, I look at UVA, and, and you know, I think to beat Virginia Tech, you need to have a good, strong running game to attack Virginia Tech's weakness, which it, which is run defense. And, uh, you, you know, you need to have not a defense that is terrible, quite frankly. And the thing is, UVA's defense is pretty bad, and outside of the Georgia Tech game, they can't run the ball. So that actually, on paper, that they're not a bad matchup for Tech at no. all. I feel, though, and, and I haven't looked up the stats to back this up, I, I feel that Virginia Tech's ability to pressure the quarterback, which was pretty decent against Syracuse, yep. you got to give them credit for that, in general, has not been real strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Hamilton, to me, is, is shown to be a guy who doesn't like to to blitz a whole lot. Um, maybe that'll change as the season goes on. So you sit here and you say that the, the pass defense is a strength of, of, of Tech's defense, one of the strengths of their teams. But you gotta you gotta pressure the quarterback. You gotta make it hard on him because he's really good. Anyway, I don't well, know well pass pass UVA. coverage has been a strength of Virginia Tech's defense, especially mm-hmm. when Jermaine Waller is healthy. But it is yeah. true that. The, the Hokies' pass rush has been disappointing, I think would be the right term, especially yeah. with Jordan Williams coming in and all the expectations for Amari Barno. Haven't really gotten to the quarterback as much as many team, as many people would have expected. And then even against Syracuse, you get pressure, but they lost contain and it gets outside of the pocket and runs for 170 yards on the day. Yeah. Not good, yeah. Now Jordan, <laughs> now, Jordan Williams did. He had the highest pass rush grade of any tech defensive player all year long against Syracuse. And he was just, he was a split second yeah. too late on the last one, you know, and you got to give Schrader credit for, for delivering that Nothing pass you can under do on that, that pressure. Play. I mean, it was good, good coverage, good pass rush. Hokies defense just couldn't make the play. Tech defense trying to bounce back from their worst game of the season against Georgia Tech. We're going to dive into the offense and how they can kind of keep that momentum going from the Syracuse game in the second half of the show. But first, let's send it over to Katie Adams in our fourth chair. What you got today, Katie? So Virginia Tech makes its first ACC road trip this week in week nine of college football, which is still crazy to say because of this mess of a schedule. Was curious to see what our record is over the past years on that ACC road game debut. So since 2008, we're 10-3 and three in our first ACC road game of the season. It includes 4-1 and one during Fuente's tenure, which was kind of a surprise to me because my mind automatically goes to that 2019 BC game, which mm-hmm. was a disaster. But yeah. we've been decent since 2008. That, that's crazy to think that the first ACC road game for Virginia Tech is it's, on Halloween. It's almost in November, man. It's, it's, yeah. It's in, wow. yeah. Or the day before Halloween. You know, I remember being down in Greensboro before the season in one of our little breakaway sessions with Fuente. He asked everybody in the media that was in there. I guess it was Teal and Nizelec and David and, and you know everybody like Bitter, all that. And he's like, "Have you guys ever seen a schedule like this?" And everybody was like, "Not even Teal. Teal's seen it all." He was like, <laughs> "No, <laughs> no, never seen a schedule like this." So, do you have the list of? Uh, uh, I do. Go go down them. Okay. So twenty twenty one at Duke, twenty nineteen lost at Boston College, twenty eighteen one at FSU. Right. Uh, following or year before one at BC, year before that one at UNC, 2015 lost at Miami, 2014 one at UNC, and so on. I won't read the whole thing. Yeah. But. yeah. 
So this game is a toss-up. If that stat keeps up, I'd say that we have a good chance to win. But Georgia Tech has a lot of things going for them. It's their homecoming game. They've alternated wins and losses all season. And they lost last week, so they're due for a win this week. And so they've, they've literally alternated yes, wins Yes, every losses. week, win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. We never did give their record. They're 3-4 and four overall and 2-3 yes. and three in the ACC, I yes. think. Yeah. yeah, so but they've won four out of the last six. Okay, trivia-wise, I didn't have anything in the past two weeks, but I do today. So if Virginia Tech loses, we moved to three and five on the year and one and three in the ACC. When was the last year that we started on those terms? Three and five. And one and three? It's it's one of Frank's last year. Well, hmm. <laughs> Is it? Mm, 2018 was rough. See, this is this is where I don't I don't remember these kind of details very well. I know 20, we had to win two late, like in twenty twelve. Mm-hmm. But I don't. But I think it was. I think we were four and five, and not. I don't know. Where we're, I think in twenty eighteen, Tech was four and five too, because I believe. They were, I think they started. I think they started now. four and one. Wow. Then lost four in a row, or four and two, then lost four in a row, and then beat Virginia and Marshall to get. The bowl streak get to six and sell, six, yeah. right? Yeah, and I think we just—I think we, they won two in a row, like in 2012, and maybe one of those late Beamer. Era. I'm I'm going to totally pull one out here and say 2014. You had it literally on the money as soon as I said it. It is Frank Beamer's last year. It was 2015. 2015. Was the last time we started yeah. on those terms, wow, which yeah. ironically we had a coaching change at the end of that year. So. <laughs> Yikes. How about that? So we'll see. <laughs> 2015 was also the last year that both teams had losing records going in. Virginia Tech was four and five. Georgia Tech was three and six. Virginia Tech ended up winning 20 through to 2021. And that's where that infamous Frank Beamer gorging eyes meme. Oh, came yeah. Well, that's <laughs> no, absolutely. Pete Morris came up to tell him something. And like, and, and Frank's like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I was from the post game interview that game. Wow. Yep, yep. So that's it for me. Perfect. Thank you, Katie. And we'll get back to Katie at the end of the show with YouTube questions. Again, a reminder, if you have a question or comment for Will and Chris, drop it in the YouTube chat and we'll get to those at the very end of the show. We're going to take a break here on episode 203 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. When we come back, we'll dive into the Hokies offense and see how they can keep that success from Syracuse rolling against the Yellow Jackets this weekend. Stay with us here on episode 203 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back on episode 203 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We are previewing Virginia Tech's trip down to Atlanta to face Georgia Tech this weekend. We've already talked a lot about Georgia Tech's offense. We're going to dive into Virginia Tech's offense and how they can keep their momentum rolling on the first of their four road games in their final five matchups of the season. Again, if you have a question or comment, drop it in the YouTube chat below if you are watching live on YouTube. We'll get to those at the very end of the show. Usual Wednesday crew on set. We'll Stewart, Chris Coleman, Katie Adams, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, and I'm your host, Jake Lyman. We've we've kind of looked at the uh, Georgia Tech defense a little bit and their struggles over the last three games, but looking specifically at those linebackers, I know you put in your preview, which is up on techsideline.com right now, that they have been the weakness of the team. Maybe could be uh, another uh, breaking out party for Malachi Thomas in the backfield uh, like he had a, against Syracuse. Uh, Charlie Thomas has been really, really good, but the other two guys, Quest Jackson and I. <laughs> you want me to? Uh, yes. Ayinde uh, 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 Ale would be it. my guess. That would be my guess, too. And they've been awful, like terrible. Like 
LA. Give I think, us give us the numbers, man. I don't remember. It's oh, okay, I, I believe I'll look, looking I'll at look it, up and give the okay. numbers. Uh, you said that Jackson was in the 40s in his PFF grade, and LA was like 38. 30s. And I want to say that it was something like fourth from the bottom out of all college linebackers. In I'm, I'm almost there. I'm like, almost there. Pretty much as bad as it gets. Uh, of, of any linebackers with like a hundred. Yeah, so, so so to put that, in, I'm reading from the game preview that this is quality podcast content when you're reading from the website. <laughs> <laughs> to put that into perspective, only six FBS linebackers have a grade lower than LA. He ranks number 480 out of 486. Uh, Jackson isn't much better at number 426. This rings a bell. I feel like we've, we've this in the last couple of years we've read something similar about somebody, and then they went out and had a decent game. But I, unfortunately, I can't remember when that was. We'll see. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's the issue with George Tech's defense. Uh, the, their corners are extremely average. Uh, their safeties are okay, but uh, these these linebackers are are not good, and that's got to be taken advantage of. You got to find a way uh, to. I don't know if their issue is just like getting blown off the ball or they don't have good instincts or, you know, putting men in motion and pulling guards and things like that confuses them. But, you know, you've got to find a way to take advantage of these two dudes because because it's it's there. Well, some of the – if you go back and you look at the Syracuse game, some of the running lanes that uh, Malachi Thomas had were just – the, the linebackers were out to lunch. They were running off in another direction. You know, uh, yeah, Brandon Patterson wrote his article and, and – the, the synopsis of his article this week, his video breakdown, was how horrible both run defenses were for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. And generally speaking, the, Sar- the Syracuse defense, it was just guys just all out of position, just played horribly. Yep. Now, Syracuse started two freshman linebackers and a bunch of freshmen in the secondary. You know, So, so it could be that Tech was doing some things offensively that maybe Syrac- the Syracuse defenders hadn't seen yet, yep. and they were able to take advantage of that. So they're, they're, these guys are more – experience they're juniors so you would think they would be better at this point and from Malachi Thomas we talked about him a lot after the Syracuse game seems to be kind of the bright spot for the Hokies right now 150 yards and three touchdowns and his first significant action in the backfield could be just a game where he can continue that momentum and the entire offense that struggled early on in the season Malachi Thomas should have a large contingent of family and friends because he's from yes. Georgia so yeah. it's kind of a homecoming for him uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to get plenty of work. I think it's just going to be him and Blackshear. You know, the, the thing is, like Holston's from Georgia too. So are they going to be like, ah, we felt like we need to play the the, the senior yeah. who's from Georgia mm. and everything like that? So we'll see how that works. But you know, on paper, man, you should be able to run the ball on this defense yeah. with, with with any of those guys. So I, I didn't get a chance to talk about the Syracuse game, but uh, and, and I'm sure this got covered. I know a lot of people said the same that Malachi Thomas looked. It reminded people of Lee Suggs running in those old those old uniforms <laughs> and the running style. Uh, I remember watching Lee Suggs as a I think he was a redshirt freshman. He got into a couple games late and didn't look like anything special. You know, he was. I, I remember him being fairly easy to tackle. One guy got his hands on him and down he went. And then, of course, you know, you guys never saw him play. He became a guy that I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody hit the hole faster. Now, the offenses were different back then. I, I, I don't think there was any zone block, and it was all drive block and, and conventional handoffs from under center. But that guy hit the line really fast. And then when he got behind you, he ran away from you. He was, he was an extremely fast runner. Uh, so Thomas, um, 
and I said this in my article on Monday, you know, he got behind the defense that one time and got run down from behind, and that never would have happened to Lee Suggs. But I, but I think there's a lot of potential there for the guy. I saw some of the same thing where he did some really good things. He, he ran physically, but he just wasn't quite strong enough or mature enough yet mm-hmm. to to break a tackle, and maybe later he will be able to. I thought he showed good vision, especially on his t- long touchdown run. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was impressed with him. Showed good natural ability. You've got to be careful because, you know, he's listed at six foot 197, but he looks more like 187 or 185. He does not look 100. Yeah, that was kind of odd. When I looked yeah. him up, because I looked him up, and Suggs was 60201 as a senior, mm-hmm. and Thomas is listed at 60197. They don't look thought, the same no. at all. Yeah. No. Uh, so, you got to be careful. Like, that was a freshman late in Syracuse defense. So, those are guys his age. Right. For the rest of the season, he's going to be facing guys who have been in college weight rooms for two or three years. You know, there, there, there's going to be a more physical presence there. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think you can give him 21 carries a game for the rest of the season and expect, and expect him to not feel it to a certain extent. So you, that's something for the coaching staff to manage there. And only two freshmen on Georgia Tech starting defense. Uh, Jared Ivey up front has been good. We'll get to him. Yeah. I do want to – you mentioned the throwback uniforms. Well, we never got your thoughts on uh, on those uh, and the throwback day in Lane. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on I thought the uniforms? There was some, well, I thought there was some really cool stuff. The The uniforms looked cool. They were they were almost exact replicas of what they wore back in, in 99, 2000, around that era. And, you know, I think they should wear them all the time. Me too. Yep. You know, uh, why not? Um They'd need to. Uh, I said this in my article. They would need to order an orange set and a white and a white set, one, you yep. know, and then just start mixing, mixing and matching. And matching. Yeah. Um, but I thought one of the and and this is one of the things this morning about about not being able to be there was what they did with Hokie Vision, where they mocked it up to look like the old nineteen ninety nine scoreboard or two thousand or whatever they were going for there. Yeah, it was um, cool. It was cool. Now I did say I don't know what it was like to be there in person, but I did say uh, in my article Monday that. Uh, I, I was able to pull up a pirated stream on my phone and watch it, and I thought the crowd sounded really good. I thought yeah, they were into the it. Crowd did um, fun. Yeah. Um, how how was it uh, being there? Uh, it it was good. I think the the crowd was better than Pitt, at least in terms of staying uh, long. Engaged. The, yeah, yeah. The student yeah. section it did clear out pretty significantly by the end of the game, but not as much as Pitt, where after halftime there was nobody there. You could yeah. count them on both hands. So if if uh, if you have or haven't seen this on Twitter, I, I, I don't know why I decided to look this up. But I, I think why I decided to look it up was because I was a little surprised by the attendance um, at the game last week and at the Syracuse game. I thought it was pretty good. Um, and that wound up being uh, 57000 and something. Yeah. So through, uh, through six home games so far this year, Tech has averaged 59,000 and 62 fans. Which is two which, sellouts. Yeah, which I think is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, last year they averaged fifty-eight two ninety-three in seven home games. So so far, with your two biggest draws being North Carolina and Notre Dame, um, you know you're still slightly ahead of last year. They've bumped up that average quite a bit. And yeah. Now you worry about next year because there's no big home opponent that was going to sell West Virginia. West Virginia could. Yeah, um, but just the rest of this know. year. I, it seems like our fan base just is not very interested playing West Virginia though. Well, and UVA is at home next year, but that's always a tough one. It's right after either the day or two yeah. days after Thanksgiving. Yeah, I don't think that one really moves the needle. I, 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 don't, I don't think it does either. I think the UNC one did because first game of the season, first home game since 2019 right. against the top 10 team, and everybody was really excited. And then Notre Dame is Notre Dame. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, and then, and they have not announced the time of the Duke game yet, correct? That'll be no. on Monday, I believe. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm betting that one's going to be an early game, you know. And so I think that's going to drag attendance for this year down below last year, but uh, 2019, excuse me, yes. not last year, yeah. 2019. Yeah. Uh, but not by a lot. So uh, going back to, let's go 2015 through 2018, 60,800, 63,000, 63,200, 59,600. And then last uh, 2019 was 58,293, and this year's 59,062. So my point being, the fans are hanging in there yep. so far. Um, you think that Duke game might uh, might drag that average I think down drag a little it down. bit, especially yeah. if things don't go well over the next two weeks. Yeah. Um, I want to jump back to Georgia Tech's defense. We talked a lot about their weaknesses, linebackers, and the secondary is kind of meh. But the, the defensive line is pretty good. Mentioned Jared Ivey, the freshman up front, another good young piece for them. Yeah, and Devon Brooks has been good at defensive tackle. He's not your traditional like nose guard size or anything like that, but he's been a good player for them. Um, it, it is really surprising to me that, you know, their linebackers have been that bad. Um, it's a beatable defense for sure. And it's, it's one of those games where if you come out and you look like you looked against Syracuse, then, then you're going to have success. And, uh, I would, I would, I think this game will be decided by which Virginia Tech defense shows up. Is it going to be the Syracuse defense, or is it going to be the defense played against West Virginia and North Carolina and all those other games? I think well, that's what will ultimately decide. And if it comes down to an end-of-game situation, can the defense hold up? Right. You know, they haven't been able to do that. Well, well they did against Carolina. Carolina. And West Virginia as well. They made the play right. to put the Hokies in the game, but uh, yeah. Notre Dame and Syracuse defense couldn't make stops four total times, I guess, would be yeah, twice right. against yeah. Notre Dame. Yeah. Twice two drives. It was, it was a double-digit or two-score lead in both games? It, yeah, it was eight points against Notre Dame. Okay. But then so they gave up the field goal at the end of regulation. Right, right. Yeah, so it's three touchdowns and a field goal in the four game-ending drives at Notre Dame and then Syracuse have had. Right. So for for the offense, we've been talking about Malachi Thomas in the running game, and obviously that's what led the way against Syracuse. Passing game was still a little bit suspect. They, they schemed up some plays like the Dulius touchdown, but for the most part, the passing game was a little lackluster again. How do they open that up? Don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, make mm. some changes in the month of December. <laughs> that's how. That's how the passing and, game and, gets and better. Be patient. To be quite honest with you. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. So, uh, I don't know. I'd run Malachi Thomas a lot. I heard. I heard what Chris said, but you know, they 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 had the plan earlier in the year where they went with Blackshear and Holston, and they were the one-two guys, and they'd bring somebody else in occasionally. I don't know. I'd, I'd lean on Malachi Thomas a little bit and and see what happens. Uh, because if, if something unfortunate happens there, you've still got the other two guys you've been using all year. Well, Blackshear did average more yards per carry than Thomas in that game. Yeah, he, 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 had, he had a really good game. He had a really good game. game. Both and, averaged over seven yards per carry. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and uh, Blackshear also had the 20, 30-yard reception, something like that. So he was mm-hmm. over 100 total yards. Yeah. That's yeah. As mo- the most you can really ask for out of a two-running-back rotation. It's both guys are over 100 total yards. That's very impressive. Well, the offense did look good, which, we, I mean, we – we talked about your game picks from last week for Syracuse. None of you had all that much confidence in the offense. Nope. If the defense can get back to the way they were before and the offense keeps this trend going, could this be a team that can get a few wins down yes, the stretch? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we've been saying for a few weeks now that the rest of the season just kind of looks like a bunch of 50-50 games. Yep. 
and this is a 50-50 game. And, you know, if the defense gets back to the way it was before and Dracovic isn't back for Boston College, then that might be a 50-50 game. Um, you know, who knows what Miami team's going to show up. Um, I mean, the, that's a, I, I could see Miami, like, stomping Tech, and I could, I could also see Tech winning. Yeah. You know, uh, Duke, Tech should beat Duke. Should beat Duke. Yep. Um, and like I said, like, the, the matchups are actually there in the UVA game, even though they have the best record out of all the, the teams remaining on Tech's schedule. Some of the matchups. It was just like last year. I mean, it didn't look like Tech was going to beat UVA last year. Just don't, you know, go into that but game. But they handled them pretty but, easily. But, 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 but UVA could not run them. UVA had a terrible running game last year, and their defense was terrible. All they had is Brendan Armstrong throwing the football. And that matched up well for, yeah. for Virginia Tech. And it's kind of – Kind of the same thing this year for UVA, except they are better this year. But but they're six and two. But at the same time, you know they could be four and four because the two teams missed last second field goals against them. You know Louisville and uh, right, Miami, Miami. Right, right. right. Yeah. So there, there's not as much separating those two teams, Virginia Tech and UVA, as you would think. So yes, it is possible for Virginia Tech to close this season strong. Um, you, they're going to have to start playing in the last two minutes of games. They're going to have to show mental toughness and and. Uh, lock in on their assignments and, and not miss cover, coverage calls and coverage adjustments and things like that. Uh, we, we sit here and say it's, it's a different thing every week, and it does kind of seem that way. And so, like, what's it going to be this week, right? So you, you, that's where you are kind of as a Tech fan right now. Uh, you're like, oh, Notre Dame gets the ball back, and you're like, well, I don't know how they're going to do this, but they're going to they're going to do it. <laughs> they're going right? to find a way. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I've, I've been harping on the fourth down stat. You know, for those uh, of you that haven't read me or read me say this in articles or say it on Twitter, Virginia Tech has given up 12 of 15 fourth downs this year, including 10 of 12 against uh, Power Five competition. And the Hokies are two of eight on fourth down. I think we referenced these in Monday's podcast. We did. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so. You can, you know, I don't quite, sorry, have the breakdown in my head. It's pretty easy against Syracuse. Stop them on fourth down and you win the game. Mm-hmm. There's another game in the past where Tech had, if Tech had just picked up a, oh, West Virginia, just pick up a touchdown on yeah. fourth down. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's funny that you can, you can, I'm like a dog with a bone with that stat now. I'm like, I'm like see, that describes the whole season. <laughs> you know? Well, and I, I wanted to bring up like the law of averages here with 12 of 15 fourth downs given up, two of eight converted i don't think that applies well i just in general the the 50 50 games we talk about north carolina west virginia notre dame and we'll say syracuse tech had the lead or had a chance to take the lead late in all of those games and only won one of them so you would think maybe if these start to come down to late game situations over the last five games maybe the Hokies finally start to put it together you know i called my article on sunday the 1992 feeling when virginia tech went two and eight and one and they led, was it six or seven of those losses in the fourth quarter? Seven, I believe. Seven. So yeah. Imagine. I mean, that, that you're so close, yeah. yet at the same time you are who your record says you are. Yes. Well, the statistic, and this comes from Bill, something Bill Roth wrote, which, way, that, that's almost 30 years ago, and it's <laughs> stuck in my head. He wrote after the season that if fo- football games were 55 minutes long, Tech would have been seven and four. Mm-hmm. So that kind of describes that season. Um, it's – it's the, the the margin of error is razor thin. One of the, one of the things that I thought was, or that I noticed about the the Syracuse loss was that game winning touchdown. You know, Dorian Strong played 
that pass the way you're supposed to play it, right down to he got his hand in between the receiver's hands. And I remember the the 2016 battle at Bristol game where Tennessee chucked a ball in the back of the end zone and scored over Stro- Greg Stroman. Stroman. Stroman had his hand outside the receiver's hands, so the receiver's like this and Stroman's hand is here or there. You can't break that up. Mm-hmm. You see the picture of Dorian Strong. I can't remember the name of the Syracuse player that caught the football. Damian Alford. He, Alford's got it like this, and Strong's hand is in between. And you, you're just like, how did he not make that He's play? He's just got to get stronger. That's honestly, that, that that's the thing. You've just got to be Well, his strong. dad can help with that. His dad can help with that if Dorian's <laughs> willing to listen, for sure. <laughs> well, that, that is the kind of the story of the Hokies season, that play against Syracuse. Jordan Williams is a split second late from making that a duck thrown 20 yards downfield, and Dorian Strong is an inch from making that an incomplete pass. But instead, it's a it's a 40-yard touchdown. So, well, but the big thing is, I think, and Fuente said this after the game and on Tech Talk Live, but that was the, he thinks that's the first time in his coaching career that an opposing team has returned a kickoff to the 50-yard line. So of all the times for it to happen, it doesn't happen in some random blowout of some FBS, <laughs> FCS team or something. Like that. It I'm, happens when you go up by nine. Of, when I you believe go up, I read that in a Teal article. That's, that's the long – I think he researched it. Uh-huh. And that is the longest kickoff return against Justin Fuente in his 10 years of being right, head coach. Right, right. So that's what I'm saying. It's that some, kind of stuff drives you crazy. It, that's what I'm saying. All right, it's it's something different every week well, at this point. And hence so, the level of so, frustration. So, correct. So what will it be against Georgia Tech? Right. So Virginia Tech, all right, they could go out there and get back to their old defensive ways and continue to play pretty decent offense. What if they go out there and get a punt blocked? You know, it would be something new, you know. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but would you be surprised if it did? It, it just it just doesn't seem like this team has it. What, I will know, I will that say is. that that long touchdown pass by Syracuse didn't surprise me a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. you know the thing is, and that's the thing. Statistically, it should have. I mean, did you read my big big time throw stats? Yes, uh, it never right. should have happened. I know <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. I I know in uh, in the NFL they have the the Amazon next gen stats and it shows you the completion percentage like how likely is this pass to be incompleted i want to know what it was oh god yeah, yeah. i bet I, it was like one percent I, I like i like in baseball games where uh catch probability for outfielders yes. so you know if you're a really good outfielder it's like okay your average major league outfielder he's playing at this depth and the ball is hit the, hit at this angle and it's coming off the bat at this speed and he has a 27%. Your average major league outfielder has a 27% chance to make that catch. So when somebody does make a catch like that, it's generally like a gold glove outfielder with yes. great range. Yeah. So I would have loved for like a stat to pop up and say, yeah, this is like a 6.2% chance of this pass <laughs> being completed. You know? <laughs> well, you know, it gets back to Tyler Buckner throwing that incredible pass, which kind of Tech was up 10 nothing. Am I remembering that right? Yes. Yeah, and, uh, and, 10, yeah. I and guess. they took Cone out, put Buckner in, and one of the first things he does is throw a pass. He probably hadn't thrown all year and won't throw it. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And the two-point conversion as well. The, yeah. Uh, Rolling right, throwing it back over the middle, and guy goes up and makes the play. But, but eventually, it's not you; it's me. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> Something I'm doing. Yeah, I do wish they had those stats for college because I know, like the the Hale Murray last year with Kyler Murray <laughs> throwing a touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins on the last play. I think it was like eleven or twelve percent chance that that pass was completed. I would want to know what the completion percentage on that pass was. We so, need- so watching the baseball game last night, again, I wasn't actually watching it. It was just on. And I don't remember even which batter did this, but he hit the ball off the wall 
about this close to the top of the wall. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was Grail, I think, towards the end. That was yes. eighth inning. Yeah. And who, who was doing play-by-play? That was Joe, John, Buck. Joe Buck and John Joe, I thought it was yeah. Buck. Buck said, we're told that would have been a home run in 28 yeah. stadiums in Major yeah. League Baseball, yeah, but not that. this yeah. one. <laughs> yep. That's good stuff. <laughs> I, I got to say, Joe Buck, uh, that dude, the next week and a half, his life is crazy. He's doing baseball yesterday and tonight then he has football thursday baseball friday saturday mm-hmm. football sunday baseball monday and tuesday so who will call the baseball game sunday uh, actually you know what? i bet they'll put somebody else on the football game for okay. that because he's not going to miss the world series yeah. for a yeah. regular, for a season regular football season game, game but yeah. it, it's i believe seven straight days where he's either calling world series and games i don't or think NFL i don't games. think your average person can imagine the amount of research you have to put in on, on every one of those games you're yes. now i guess once you get deeper into the World Series, you've already done all your research already, so yes. you don't have to do new stuff for yeah. each game. But so, so well, since we're geeking out about announcers, um, when I went to dinner down in uh, Delray Beach, Florida, one night we went out. Uh, we were we were kind of in the outside seating area. We go and and we're walking to our table, and there's a table of four with a guy kind of sitting as the fifth at the table of four. And I just kind of glanced at him. He was looking at his phone. I sat down, and he was over my right shoulder. And uh, my brother-in-law was sitting next to me, texted and said, uh, that's Jim Gray sitting right behind you and sent me a picture of him. So I would, I would know who he is. <laughs> um, look up Jim Gray, TV announcer. He has interviewed 10 presidents. Wow. Uh, my brother-in-law actually can't stand him because it goes back to, I don't remember the exact, again, I'm not a baseball guy. I don't remember the exact story, but. But Pete Rose was at, I believe, an all-star game long after he'd been drummed out of baseball and and had been accused of betting on games. And there was evidence that, uh, evidence in air quotes, again, I don't, I don't know the history of it. A lot of people will know the exact history of the Pete Rose story. But years had passed, and they had Pete Rose back at apparently an all-star game, and they actually honored him. And Jim Gray interviewed him during a break and basically said repeatedly can't you just admit to it there's all this evidence it was very awkward right and this is an interview that's probably maybe 20 30 years old i don't know (laughs) but my brother-in-law can't stand jim gray for that reason that 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 on a night when he should have just let it go he couldn't and and he felt like he had to grandstand and pin pete rose down right there on the spot so I don't know if this is creating any sort of traffic in the YouTube. Um, it, it might be. We'll have to check with Katie in a few minutes here. Uh, we, so we made, we made our baseball tangent. There is game two of the World Series tonight, Astros-Braves. Okay. Uh, Chris will be tuned in, I'm sure, seeing if his Braves can go to 2-0. and uh, We didn't do keys to the game last week. We just said the Hokies need to score points. Need to score more that points did not work seen. out. Nope. Uh, so I want to do it this week. What what did the Hokies have to do down in Atlanta to pull out the win against the Yellow Jackets? Well, I think it comes down to the running game. Yeah. You know, Chris detailed how Georgia Tech's linebackers are struggling. So are Virginia Tech's. Which set of linebackers is going to play better? Um, Listen to the discussion earlier. Um, It's uh, I I, for some reason, I don't feel good about Virginia Tech stopping Georgia Tech being very effective against them. It may be because the only time I watched Georgia Tech, they were blowing out North Carolina, (laughs) you know, and and I do. I think Jeff Sims is, is an excellent athlete and I think their running backs are good. And it gets back to what I said earlier about the run blocking hadn't been that great, but the runners are very talented. They're doing their job. So I just I don't feel good about Virginia Tech's chances for stopping the run game. But if they by the same token, if they can twist around those Georgia Tech linebackers the way they did the Syracuse linebackers, 
this could be it, it's hard to have a shootout per se when it's two teams running the ball a lot but you know 41 36 yeah, is, is did it last week qualifies as a shootout for yeah. virginia tech it doesn't have to be in the 50s that was a very high scoring game and i've uh, so keys to the game it's who's going to stop the run do a better job of stopping the run yep that's exactly it um i, I think if obviously if virginia tech can't run the football how are they going to score Right, so they have to run the football, and, and you know you could probably say the same to a certain extent about Georgia Tech, except they'll <coughs> make a few big time throws. You know, if, if yeah. things stick according to pattern. So yeah, that's very simple this week. I think whichever team does a decent job stopping the run, they'll win the game. Now, if neither team does a decent job stopping the run, it'll just I don't be know, back, just be and, back and, and forth. And it'll shoot. come down to turnovers and special teams yeah. and stuff like that, kickoff returns, and, and, and pulling some play out of your butt or something like that. Well, let's jump into game picks. Last week, you guys all had it as a low-scoring Syracuse win. It was high-scoring, but Syracuse did come out on top. If we're uh, tracking the record so far, Chris and Will at 4-3. and three. David, the only one to jump uh, away from the trend in the Notre Dame game, and he's 5-2. and two. I'll, I'll be honest here. I picked Virginia Tech this week because I'm trying to get trying to catch David. David. I didn't think he would pick Virginia Tech this week, but he did. So... There's no way I can catch up to David this week because we had the same picks. Nah. But uh, that's not really why I picked Tech. Honestly, I don't know why. Uh, it's one of those games where you feel like it's going to be a 50-50 game again. And what? Gut you, you know, my gut feel? I don't even know if it's my gut feel. I was just Maybe it's like, yeah, I don't know at this point. We're, we're due, I guess. Here's <laughs> I, the score. I knew before I read <laughs> what you'd written for the preview that I was going to pick Virginia Tech to win. Did you really? just, just, you know, just a gut feel. Now, what you, but the one thing I did want to know was, and I, and I researched this a little bit, and that's how I know, even though I haven't had a chance to read much this week, I know that Fuente said I'm going to spend some more time over there. Yeah. With you. yeah. I, I was like, if he said at any point this week he's going to continue to coach the offense, I'm going to pick Virginia Tech. Yep. And he did. So I, I guess, I don't know. We should, maybe we should start doing like a confidence meter next to each one of our picks. Like I'm picking Virginia Tech this week. My confidence meter on that is like a two because <laughs> I th- really think it's a 50-50 game. And if I had picked Georgia Tech, it would also be confidence meter two. Two. 50-50. Chris has the Hokies winning 30-27 to over the Yellow Jackets and getting back to 500. Will, I know you've got very high scoring for your prediction. Yes, 38-34 Virginia Tech over Georgia Tech. I, I wrote that down, then I tried to lower it, and then I was like, ah, oh, don't be a pansy jacket up. You know? <laughs> um, so, and then, so who have you said Chris and David so far? Dave, so, uh, I just said Chris. David, 32 to 30, he has the right. hooky. So, all of you guys 32. in lockstep again. How do you get to 32? Remember, he's not Mike, so we have to repeat what he says. Five field goal or six field goals and two touchdowns. Yeah, that's right. Now, how did we get 32? Uh, well, they had the two-point conversion, That's so right. that probably oh, messed yeah, yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, maybe we'll return another block extra point for two points. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to make sense. It'll be no, fun. it doesn't. <laughs> Thirty-two to thirty is the score that David is picking. Uh, the fans they're uh, tied up top with David at five and two. They got it right, right. last week. Syracuse by one to ten. Uh, that was it. Was very close last week. Actually, I believe thirty-six percent had Syracuse by one to ten. And 34% had Hokies by 1-10. to 10. So, close there and close again this week. Right now, the Hokies are in the lead, though. I believe this Yeah, is- so what I'm showing is uh, um, 53% of fans think Virginia Tech will win. 
and 47% think Georgia Tech will win. There's a big cluster in the middle of fans saying Virginia Tech's going to win by 1 to 10 or Georgia Tech's going to win by 1 to 10. So the fans think it'll be close, and they they didn't seem to really think that last week. A quarter of the fans thought Syracuse was going to win by yes. two scores. And uh, right now I'm showing 475 total voters at this point. Usually these will be about triple that, right around 1,500. Yeah. But the Hokies currently just six votes up on Georgia Tech, so uh, a close one. So we'll have to see how that one pans out uh, before game time on Saturday. So it kind of yeah, it kind of reflects uh, the, the the feeling of it being a fifty fifty game. I think uh, Chris, I didn't look at the top of the um, uh, preview. Is Georgia Tech favored by four? Did I read that? Four. Yeah. Um, it opened pretty much as a pick'em. It, it did, and it's funny. I, I looked at the the site we use and. And one of the columns still had it as a pick but all the others had Georgia Tech by four or four and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought what I thought was interesting is that the over-under is around mid-50s. And I think it's going to be – I think you should bet the over. Yeah, considering the Georgia Tech defense is trending down and the Tech offense trended up this past week, it would seem like yeah. the, sometimes it takes Vegas a few weeks to catch up to things like that. Right. So might be the week to jump in. Maybe bet, I'll try to jump over. in and get the over and – See if I can pay for pay my for your season. Braves well, exactly. <laughs> again. Sadly, you can't uh, living in Virginia, but you'll be you will be in Georgia, so I you may be. be able to. I'm not sure what the betting laws are like in Georgia, but I know in Virginia you can't bet on Virginia colleges. Oh, so right. right, yeah, it doesn't present you the option when you when you're on the apps or so. May, maybe Chris will find a loophole or something on his travels down to Atlanta. Um, well, now I think a good time to talk to the fans in the YouTube chat. Katie, anything good getting put down there today? Yeah, Bill Eshbaugh asks, is there any chance that being away from Blacksburg will be good for the team? Didn't go so great at West Virginia, but maybe being away from the noise and negativity will give them a lift. If they stay off social media. (laughs) Yeah, I I think not being in the environment will help. But if you get on social media, then you're right back in it. You're right back in it. Yeah, the world's a lot smaller these days. Now, as far as just road versus home, I ran some numbers. I think I put them in my preview this week. Uh, Can you... Pull it up. and, and I I've got it right okay. here. So over the last four seasons at home against Power 5 teams, Virginia Tech is 8-10, and 10, mm-hmm. including 1-3 and three this year. Yes. Uh, and then on the road against Power 5 teams over the same four years, 7-8. and eight. So right. about, and, and about the same win percentage. Yeah, exactly. And Frank's yeah. last four years, they were way better on the road than they were at yeah. home. It wasn't even close. Yeah, that, so, that's close. It's pretty so, much Yeah, it's one of those things. I'm, I'm not worried about whether it's – home or away or anything like that it's, that just doesn't seem to matter anymore but uh i don't i don't it's not good for their psyche when they're on the sideline at the end of a game and they're hearing the north end zone chant fire forte yeah that's that's not good at all well and the last four games all at home and i think obviously the last three losses and i the richmond game disappointing so really four bad results for virginia tech in a row inside lane stadium maybe the change of scenery is going to help yeah, and, and I don't know how big of a factor this is, but when you're on the road, you're also not dealing with, you're not, hmm, for the most part, you're not dealing with tickets for family, unless you're from down there, and then you're really dealing with <laughs> yeah. it. Um, but you're also not dealing with recruiting visits or anything like that. The players don't have to host anybody. The coaches don't have to. So that that that's a load that's taken off their mind when you're on the road. Scott Glessner asks, is Virginia Tech being coached to play scared? I feel Burmeister is hesitant to throw to not turn the ball over. Jay Ham is hesitant to blitz and game plan to run the play clock down before snapping, though a few penalties and turnovers. 
I didn't didn't never expected Jay Ham to like be as aggressive as Bud Foster with his blitzing. All right, so Justin Hamilton, he only played defensive for Virginia Tech for one year. His redshirt senior season. And, and was it defense that he played in the NFL? He was a safety. Yeah. For what that's worth. For in in the Bill Belichick Nick Saban scheme. So he spent more years in a different scheme as a player, yeah. you know, than, than he had in Bud Foster's scheme. So, and then he spent a year or two as a coach under Bud, but he's had just as much, if not more, time in other defenses than he had in Bud. So they have a different philosophy. Um, I don't think necessarily not blitzing means means you're scared. Um, I, I, I do think there's there's something to be said for maybe Virginia Tech quarterbacks sometimes being scared to make a mistake, um, but. At the same time, like uh, Burmeister's, he doesn't have the arm to thread the needle. They're, they're very low percentage plays if he just tried to fit in there between a safety and a linebacker. I mean, he just that, that's not the type of arm he has. Um, you have to scheme guys open for him, and, and guys have to make plays on the ball and things like that. And, um, so, I mean, I, I think it. You know, we, we did hear a story back earlier in the season about how he technically didn't make the right read when he hit Drake Dulius on that wheel route down the sideline against uh, West Virginia. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and Cornelson got on him for that because it wasn't the right read. Uh, and if that's true, then um, that will make you hesitate for sure. Yeah. yeah. So things like that will make you hesitate. Yeah, and I don't know that I can really add a whole lot to that other than to say, you know, that we're not there every week. We, we don't hear what the – coaches say to the players and, and really have a good idea of what the culture of the program is from that respect. Mm-hmm. Well, and you don't know if it's a positive or a negative, but certainly Braxton Burmeister, far from Ryan Willis's scared money, don't make money. <laughs> uh, right. Ryan Willis just came out and said it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll do one more. I think I know the answer to, or Will's answer to this question, but Mitchell Morgan says, since this season is just too depressing, which prospect slash commit are you all most excited about seeing play next year? Next year? Oh man! Uh, so it, it's it's interesting. I don't know that you would exactly know my answer to this. It's it's there's there's, <laughs> there's a little nuance to it. Clearly, it's Alex Orgy. Yeah. yeah. He uh, Stam interviewed him and he said he wants to come in January, right? Yep. Regardless of who your coaching staff is next year, I'm taking Taj Bullock and Alex Orgy out on the field in the spring, and I'm saying it's between you two guys. Now, coaches will be cute and they won't even announce it till the week before they play an actual game in the fall. But I would I would say, all right. Let's say Tech at least has a new offensive staff next year, which, at the very least, yeah. Even if the head coach doesn't change, let's say the offensive staff changes, um, I'd say you know it's between you two guys. I'm going to hitch my wagon to one of you, and um, you know there's there's a lot of Alex Orgy highlights floating around on Twitter that are pretty awesome. He looks like an an excellent physical talent. Mm-hmm. I don't remember my my. Taj Bullock highlights. It's it's been a while since he he's a good it. prospect. Yeah, um, you know. Yeah. So I throw down the gauntlet for those two guys and say it's two of you go at it. And the thing is, like, uh, like, Kadem is he's got more of an FCS arm than an FBS 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 arm. Excuse me. And so I don't really feel like he's a legitimate contender for the job. Um, we don't even know if Burmeister will come back next year. Will be his sixth year. Yeah. Some of those guys will take their COVID year, and some of them won't. We just we just don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm assuming Burmeister is not going to. Right, back. right, right. Um, I would probably make that assumption too. Um, we'll, we'll, it's one of those things. All right, I think and I would. I, I'm agreeing with Will here. Now the thing is, like, 
I don't know that we'll get to see Orgy play next year if he, if he redshirted or anything like or that. Or if we'll he stays do, committed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because if there is a head coaching change, I mean, if I'm one of the – I mean, I think that guy's got some serious arm talent, and I think he's got a good head on his shoulders. And I'm going – I'm swooping right in there and with everything that's going on at Virginia Tech right now. So we'll see. I, I will say that, like, if something does happen with Fuente and there is a new head coach, one of the first – if I'm that new head coach, then the first – one of the first calls I'd make – after I got that job, would be would be to Alex Orchie and you try gotta, to try to keep sell him committed. You got to you got to some ways sell him. Here's what we're going to do. And I would you. also go out and try to find a quarterback on the transfer portal yeah. immediately, and and give yourself another option because I don't I don't want my two options to be true freshman Alex Orchie and redshirt freshman Taj Bullock. Yeah. So anyway, you um, so if this, a guy if a guy like Spencer Rattler is out there in the transfer portal, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you want that. Uh, I don't know. know. If Maybe that's a I bit do. For Virginia Tech, we'll Maybe see. Maybe I do. <laughs> is, is there okay? So y'all need to clarify because I'm, I bet y'all follow the entirety of college football closer than I do. So Spen- Spencer Rattler got benched at Oklahoma. That I know for freshman Caleb Williams. I want to say Fields uh, Williams. Caleb, Caleb Williams. Williams. Okay. Williams, yeah. Okay. So Caleb Williams uh, is now the starter at Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler, I believe, most people were mocking him as a top five draft pick entering the season, but he yeah. he was not good. Uh, I've seen clips of him from high school being. Uh, a little bit egotistical, a little bit me before the team uh, kind of stuff. I okay. I don't believe he would be a good fit. <laughs> Probably not. But, you know, I'm just throwing a name out there. Yeah, yeah. Brewer's Some... brother, maybe something like <laughs> Charlie Brewer. But to to clarify my answer a little bit more, though, the question was specifically next season. So yes. <laughs> the coaching staff says it's one of you two guys, and you're going to start next fall, and I don't care how bad it is, you're going to learn on the job, and we'll just get better as time goes on. Assuming this recruiting class is intact for next year, which obviously is a big if, we'll get practice access to whenever in the spring or, or August. Probably a day in the, the spring. The first person I'll go watch is, is Orgy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. We, we were watching some highlights the other day. Of, what was he throwing at 65 yards oh, in the air? Oh, nuts. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, just on the run, too. One to the right side, 65 yards in the air. Another one to the left side, 65 yards in the air. Well, definitely going to be interesting to see if he makes it to Blacksburg, but that, that's the hope and could be the quarterback of the future for the Hokies, yeah, which absolutely. the hope that the fan base, I think, needs at this point. You said that's it over there, Katie? Yes. All right. It. Well, thank you for going through those, and thank you to everybody who dropped a comment or question in the YouTube chat. Preview is already up on techsideline.com. Anything else coming up over the next few days, Chris? Yeah. Uh, I've already started working on a Friday Q&A, which Will is going to run on Friday when I'm gone. Um, I've, I'm Probably not an inside the numbers this week because I just not very many pretty numbers to analyze anymore. I'm just telling them you're going to the World Series. That's yes. true. Yeah, forgive me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Enjoy the trip down there. Uh, hopefully, Braves win tonight, and then maybe you get a chance to see it see it finished off on Saturday. Probably. We'll we'll see. I don't know. I don't. I, I hate losing Charlie Morton, but anyway. Yes, and that was impressive. I, I he pitched what 16 pitches 16 on a broken pitches, leg. Got three guys out on a broken leg. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for episode 203 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, looking at the Virginia Virginia Tech's trip down to Atlanta to face Georgia Tech this weekend, trying to get back on track. want to thank everybody on set. Will Stewart, across the way, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com. You can find him at WillStewartTSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman to my left, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline, at ChrisColemanTSL on Twitter. Katie Adams in the fourth chair, at Katie6Adams. Does a great job with her 
middle segment and then also the YouTube questions. And then Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes always does a great job. I'm your host, Jake Lyman, signing off. Enjoy the game, Hokies fans. We'll talk to you next week.